<laughs> well, it's actually better. I'll say it's actually it's. I've been reading articles. It's better that daylight savings time is actually bad for the environment because it's um, if people get up when it's dark, that's bad for the health and bad for all sorts of stuff. And and I'll say since I have to work from dark till dark anyway. <laughs> They start if they come for if they try to cancel daylight savings time. I'm going to go full. I'm going full Tucker Carlson. That's all I'm saying. Well, I saw that like, if they did actually get rid of it, that like in places like in Minnesota and stuff, it would be dark until like 9:30 in the morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is well, fine maybe it me, isn't that right? daylight get savings time is bad. Maybe it's not so much that daylight savings time is bad as yeah, that yeah. Uh, having to the get public up address just come up. Six o'clock goes off every once in a while here, and it uh, <laughs> freaks me out since this area is very famous for its um, public address system. Yeah, it's public address system. <laughs> All right, we'll try this. I watched um, I watched the entire new season of uh, Last Chance You this week. I'm still sold. How was it? It's really good. It's basketball this time, <clears throat> so it's very different. Um, and it's not. I didn't get as well. I did get sucked in because I watched the whole thing. In some ways, it's not as captivating because I guess basketball, you know, you only have like ten players, eleven players on a team, so it's a little bit different. But like, um, I'm going to spoil the ending for you. It ends with uh, the pandemic, so oh, no. like it's this whole season that builds up to like, oh, nothing we did mattered at all. <laughs> uh, which pandemic like in the least? <laughs> like you, yeah, you yeah, and yeah. David seem to be out of sync. Yeah, I know. It's the Wes Anderson thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now you guys are back. Now we're back. We all clap. Okay, let's all clap. One, two, three. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> you just want to We just need to find a starting point. <laughs> this oh, is did we already point. start? <laughs> oh. Do we want to start out with the union since we've been teasing that the for three? Yeah, I thought we we're gonna do it the whole time. I actually took notes. I made notes this time. Yeah, there's so, a, there's power in a union. I've heard that there is power in a union, uh, and the workers and the land. Um, yeah. So this is Atticus Shrug for this week. We are a podcast about politics and culture in the South, where I uh, sometimes take notes. Um, with me, as always, are Chad Watson. Hello, uh, saying hi from Texas. We're open for business. <laughs> and David Dykes. I'm saying hello from Mexico. We're not. <laughs> uh, and I'm Wes Cheek. I'm in uh, Minami Sanriku, Japan, where I think they want everyone to know that they are open for business. Um, I've been up here for the the ten the ten year. What, I keep having this ar- this argument with like what what do we call like you do you say it's an anniversary. The ten years since the disaster. Like, do you want to call it an yeah, anniversary? I think anniversary? I think in English that works. I should explain. This is an argument I have in Japanese. I think an English anniversary can be good and bad things, right? It's just marking an occasion. 
where it is like the in Japanese the kinin bi sounds like where it's something good. Uh, like a celebration. So you, a celebration. Yeah. This has actually been happening a lot. I've been listening to a lot of like the Houston Public Radio. Uh, the local the local DJs have been. There's like a call-in show that I listen to, and the call-in show started a year ago to answer like questions about COVID, like. Do you need to wear a mask or not? And they're like, well, like, do we want it? We don't want this to be an anniversary. Like, we don't just want, we don't want this to be our anniversary because this is an awful thing that we had to do. But I don't know. Yeah, but what do you call it? I don't know. Yeah, I think English anniversary works okay. Here, people kind of vaguely refer to, oh, it's been 10 years since. 10 years. And so I guess that's the way to do it. I don't know. Is there a word for a disaster party? <laughs> uh well i'm I, it's a construction company it's a construction company accounting office i'm sure there is <laughs> it's, a, it's a concrete manufacturing lodge there's definitely a word for it yeah for sure but uh no i don't think so um yeah i as soon as the the like ceremony started i, I disappear i disappear from the ceremony some people go i was having a conversation yesterday which was uh interesting because i was like um Someone here locally was telling me, like, well, no one shows up for that except for people who want to get their picture taken, like, have their picture in the news. And I was like, yeah. And then someone else was like, well, it's easy to say that. But if they didn't show up to get their picture taken, then everyone here would hate them for not showing up to have their picture taken. And I was like, yeah, that's true, too. So true, true all over the world. All right. So this week, we're finally getting to something that we mentioned as being really super important. And then talk about it for a minute and in the show. So we're going to talk about the, uh, the Amazon the the uh, union drive uh, at the Amazon distribution center is that the correct term for it in Bessemer Alabama that I think the vote concludes at the end of this month right March twenty seventh March twenty ninth March thirty I think March thirtieth oh, so it is the actual know. end of the month yeah okay I thought I saw like a yeah did you say Bamazon mm-hmm. that's their uh, okay. that's their that's their handle for the unionizing movement yeah. Roll Amazon. Amazon. I know that might not work for you, David, but it's pretty clever. Roll Amazon. Well, they're trying to win in Alabama, so so if you're, you might as well hit your horse to that wagon. I've never been nothing but a winner. That's the <laughs> Bear Bryant, the Bear Bryant clip they play before all of the uh, Alabama games. I guess they still do. He speaks like in such a low mumble. It's really it takes you a few games to figure out what he's saying. I've never been nothing but a winner. Um. So so this like well, it's important for a lot of reasons. I mean, it's important because Amazon might get unionized, or at least a part of it. It's important because Amazon has made an insane amount of profits during the pandemic for kind of obvious reasons that people are shopping online. But it's also important because it's happening in. Alabama, which I think we've been hitting on for a while, and other people have that like uh, the South is can really show a lot of how to win these fights and do these fights if, if they if they happen, right? And I think a lot of people have been excited about that. So here, this is something that might if this is a win, it's not only a big win in terms of unionizing Amazon, but in terms of unionizing the South, but also that extends if you can do this in. Alabama, that's pretty big messaging for union efforts across the country, I think. Yes. Well, I know we're all um, 
<clears throat> very pro-union. But I'm curious, is there a valid argument against the union? I was reading, it's funny you should mention, I was reading Amazon's um, website today. Have you read their anti-union website? The uh, no, Do It Without no. Dues? Do it without, yeah, do it without dues. Uh, They're a family. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like, you are you want to betray your family? <laughs> yeah, and they definitely like the main page is like a guy with uh, dyed dreads giving a big thumbs up. Um, it's a very well put together little flashy website, of course, with nice uh, fonts and all that. But uh, hey, BHM One doers, why pay almost five hundred dollars in dues? We've got you covered with an asterisk next to it. That's my favorite part. We've got you covered, asterisk. <laughs> with high wages, healthcare, vision, and dental benefits, as well as safety, a safety committee and an appeals process. There's so much more, all caps, you can do for your career and your family without paying dues. And then the asterisk, if you read it, applies to regular full-time employees. Don't pay for what you don't know. So, I mean, the arguments here that I've read are all the kind of general anti-union arguments, which is you don't want to pay $500 in dues a year. Which you're not required to, I believe, right? Under the yeah, in the state of Tech, the state of Texas, excuse me, state of Alabama is a right to work state, so you are legally like if you're like you don't have to pay dues to the union, like like you're legally like that's like you can still gain all the benefits, but you don't have to pay the dues. That's the law in the state of Alabama. Which kind of sucks, but uh, I've heard some union organizers say there that it's not as big a deal as other people might make it out to be, that they can work around that. But it is. uh, Oh, I was just going to say that, but that is something that Amazon says is like, if, 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 if we union, if they unionize, like everybody loses $500 out of their paycheck, no matter what, like that's the law, which is actually the opposite is you can actually get all the benefits of being in a union and not pay the dues right and i've read that workers at this distribution center have brought that up in these classes they're forced to go to on the union and that their names are taken down if they ask that question in a meeting uh about if you're required to pay dues or not so there's that argument about it there's also um amazon makes a lot of arguments saying one of the big arguments that they make is that the union will get away get in the way of what's already a good workplace Right. So they argue that um, you're already getting paid higher than minimum wage here. You're already getting um, dental, vision, medical insurance. You're already getting like, I think, a 50 percent on your uh, pension. Right. Pay in something like matching. You're already getting these things. And if the union comes in, it will be adversarial. And so we won't have that relationship anymore. So it's kind of a pretty standard Pretty standard, like you don't want the union messing things up argument. Right. Anti-union propaganda is um, catchy stuff a lot of times. I mean, uh, the the figure that we call Rosie the Riveter, who isn't actually Rosie the Riveter, the we can do it woman, that's actually Mm -hmm. anti-union propaganda. (coughs) Uh, For, (coughs) sorry, I'll... The pollen, the um, oh no, pollen Amazon got matter. to you. Amazon got to you. Oh no, yeah, <laughs> don't speak out on it. I've the Rosie the Riveter one though. It was anti-union during World War II, or it was incorporated into the World War II propaganda. It was a wartime poster um, for Westinghouse 
that was an inspirational image. Um, and it was supposed to be boosting morale. Um, and then it started being called um, Rosie the Riveter, really not until, like, when I first saw it, I guess, in the 80s. Mm-hmm. But it was put out explicitly as anti-union to begin with, like saying you we you can do it, we can do it, like we don't need a union. Uh, uh, that's my understanding, although um, I haven't um, uh, investigated thoroughly done the deep research. Yeah. Do you mean research in the uh, Facebook sense of doing the research, or <laughs> <laughs> uh, or but what or whatever? <laughs> yeah. That means you haven't Sorry. you haven't seen the documents, right? <laughs> um. But, you know, is it kind of typical at this stage, a typical anti-union messaging, right? Which is uh, you're you'll lose your independence, right? You can't speak up. But the things I've read a lot of workers say was that before they started the unionizing effort, that wasn't even a claim that was being made. There was like very little relationship between management and worker and that they've kind of poured on the uh, we're responsive to your needs like since this unionization effort has has begun. And also, they're, of course, telling them, look, if you guys unionize, we, maybe we just can't afford a distribution center in Bessemer, Alabama anymore. Sorry. Right. Well, and I, I've um, so and also like some like one of the anti-union arguments is like, well, we're paying you $15 an hour. I mean, the, the minimum wage is like seven dollars and 25 cents and we're giving you all this other stuff. But I've seen one of the major complaint, like one of the main reasons why people are signing on to this union fight is not for wages or benefits. It's like the kind of the insane working conditions that you have to work at, like in a Amazon factory, like sort of like the the sort of like the frenetic pace that you have to work at constantly. And that is like the main like they want to like somehow mitigate like having to work these insane productivity like requirements like in a amazon warehouse right where everything you do is on the clock and everything is tracked and everything is like you can get like not i don't know they call them demerits but you can like lose your your free time and stuff for yeah it's to the bathroom right like you should there is like i think front i think it's a front line i think it's a front line documentary about jeff bezos but it's a really good and it kind of goes into this how they do this and if you have like let's say you have a really good day like let's say you have a really good working day and you i don't know let's say a hundred packages is a lot and you send out a hundred packages like so that's like your base from here on out like you have to send out a hundred packages or like it's a bad day like and then and like that's how your productivity like if you like every time you reach a productivity like benchmark that's your that becomes your base and oh wow so it keeps you ratcheted it up and ratcheted it up yeah like and it's constantly 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 and you know and they penalize you know if you're in the bathroom for if your bathroom break is six minutes instead of five minutes you know you get that's a demerit and you know and so there's this there's a series of good pieces in uh what is the paper called now i think it's alabama.com yeah um by uh, William Thornton has written a series of pieces. And in one of those, um, he speaks to Jennifer Bates a lot who works there, but I'm not sure who these quotes are for, but yeah, they say that it's not the pay necessarily, but here I'm reading from the article. Now, some of these issues by themselves might not stand out as much as they do together. An employee working a 10 hour shift, uh, she said has two 30 minute breaks. 
But if that employee works on the fourth floor, it takes time to get to break areas around the massive center. While there are elevators, she said they are reserved for certain job positions. An Amazon spokesman said that elevators are being limited to one per person according to COVID-19 protocols, but they are open to any worker. Employees have to manage long hours on their feet going up and down stairs and navigating the large distances without losing work time. Workers are encouraged to bring food that doesn't need to be heated up in order to save time. If they're being encouraged to work more time, she said, an extra 15-minute break might make things easier. So it's just these details of having your entire work life like managed on the clock that seems to be the issues and that the lack of responsiveness uh, from management to any of this. Um, I think that makes me crazy. They're being encouraged to bring food that doesn't need to be heated up. I guess it's not anything about the, your workplace. It's you need to you need to do this. And that shows. I mean, that you know, a major uh, critique of of the kind of capitalism we live under in general is that this stuff isn't just when you're in at work. It governs like your whole life. So now you're the food that you bring, the food that you eat. You shouldn't shouldn't yeah. be heated up food. And also, I've read that they have like they don't like there's no place to store their food. So they have to go out to their car and get their food. And these are gigantic centers. So like your lunch break is 30 minutes and it's a gigantic center. It might take you 15 minutes to walk to your car. Like, so, you know, that's like, by the time you walk to your car and walk, you know, walk back after your lunch break is practically over. Um, Well, one bright side of that is that um, uh, your food would be heated up if you left it in your car in Alabama. (laughs) In Alabama. Best for Alabama, yeah. I like to bring fish for lunch and leave it out in my car. (laughs) (laughs) Just kind of put it on the the dashboard before you... uh, Well, just catch it on the way into work. foil underneath. (laughs) (laughs) Catch it on the way into work, stick it under the hood. Yeah. Work smarter, not harder. Come on, yeah. guys. Yeah. Uh, and then from maybe from the same article, Amazon Amazon's response to these things are uh, I think their spokesman's uh, Glaber. I think is his last name. Glaber, however, said Amazon already offers what unions are requesting for employees and yeah. industry leading pay, comprehensive benefits from the first day on the job, opportunities for career growth, all while working in a safe, modern work environment. Well, modern, sure. At Amazon, these benefits and opportunities come with the job as as the ability to communicate directly with the leadership of the company. So that goes to the argument they're making here. Like, sure, I'm I'm sure you are communicate directly with the leadership of the company. So uh, direct dialogue is essential to our work environment in which we encourage associates to bring their comments, questions, and concerns directly to their management team with the goal of quickly improving the work environment and challenging leadership assumptions. What does that mean? Challenging leadership assumptions. We firmly believe this direct connection is the most effective way to understand and respond to the needs of our workforce. So it's this typical argument, right, of like, um, well, you as an individual can improve your workplace by bringing it, bringing your concerns to management. And I think anyone who's ever worked for a living knows how that can go, right? I mean, maybe, maybe something changes. Maybe that's nice. Maybe it disappears forever, whatever you said. Maybe then all of a sudden you're seen as a nuisance. Maybe, you know, your job isn't there anymore because you, you brought up something that wasn't supposed to be brought up. Um, I mean, it just reminds me the, the, What's the the union slogan for together we bargain, separate we beg, separate we beg, together we bargain, bargain, separate we beg. Yeah, Right. And so what Glaber is outlining there is pretty much that, right? He's saying you have you have the right to beg the management to get the changes you want. 
But I think, David, maybe your question, right? Like there's, these arguments do have traction with, with people. I mean, when we were trying to unionize um, graduate workers at Tulane, this is something that you hear. It's like, we, uh, we can't help you if you're confrontational with us. If you're, it's going to mess things up. You're actually going to get less. And then you would hear from individual people like around like, well, I think we get a lot more. This is from people who are involved in, in the unionizing. But other people say you would get a lot more if you just like you're worth more than the union can say. You should go go and talk to them directly. Like you guys are all smart people. You're in grad school. You should be able to to work this out. Um, yeah, and That's I think a, that to me, just yeah. the appeal, uh, the appeal of, um, uh, of voting no on unions. I, but like, I, I looked into this and thought about this a lot when they were trying to unionize the um, VW plant in Chattanooga. Yeah, and which, there was a lot yeah. of pressure from the government and a lot of pressure from the company. Well, the company actually was very open to the idea of unionization. Because in um, Germany, you're, you have to have a union, and they're used to dealing with unions, and they have a union member on the board uh, by law, I think. And uh, they were pretty open to it, but the state was very opposed to it. And I just always thought, everybody I know who's in a union pretty much has some resentments towards uh, management. And... Um, the idea that just tell management they'll take care of you is not going to fly very well with anybody I know who's in a union. I mean, my family's always been very union. And um, I was in a union until <coughs> I moved back down to Mexico. Um, and, so, and then you got into yeah, management. Do, the, the idea of that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, the, the, the idea of just that, that, like, don't worry about it. The, the administration has your back. Um, I don't know who that's a compelling argument to. But there are, like, I think it's a compelling argument to, one, people who just absorb decades and decades of anti-union propaganda. Yeah. Who've been like, well, you know, they're going to take your money. You know how union bosses live, right? You've seen a Martin Scorsese movie. You know union bosses. And there are, like, <laughs> shitty union bosses, right? So Boss, I mean, it happens, but like that doesn't mean a union's bad. But then there's that's people's images, and then there are people like uh, I know a lot of people who have kind of sort of independent jobs and who conceive of themselves as being independent, and so think it's oh, that's all a bunch of garbage. You don't need people to speak up for you. You can you could go out and you know mindset this into happening, or or yeah, or are there people who reflexively. You know, there's a lot of people, I think, and it plays a, lot, a large role in American politics who just say, well, everything's corrupt. It's corrupt. So yeah. uh, that means you don't have to do anything. So unions are corrupt. Hey, so why would you participate? Yeah, so what's the point? Yeah, what's the point? I mean, everything's yeah. like, yeah, Amazon's bad, but unions are bad. So, like, you know, we'll stick with better the devil we know than the devil well, we and, don't know. Yeah. Well, I think there's also maybe partly just the idea of when you – Throw in your lot with a union. You're saying, I'm a worker. I am unified with all the workers. That's my identity. And I think a lot of Americans have ambitions to be um, uh, not workers. I, I don't even want to say more than workers because I don't think being an administrator is being more than a worker. I think it's a, a different path. But uh, everybody wants to be have their turn to have their foot on somebody else's throat. Well, I think that's true. I think, you know, that is, um, 
something that that has to be pushed against a lot is like I, a lot of people don't identify as workers and don't want to identify as workers right or don't even think in those terms of being workers and bosses and everyone you know I, I'm not everyone but I think there's a large segment of America thinks that um, at any moment they're about to be the super boss like at any moment it could happen right and so why why bring yourself down uh, with this stuff um, there's also there, there's at play here, like there's a reason, and if you read, um, David Harvey writes a lot about this, if you enjoy reading David Harvey, about why factories are located across the South. And I one of the reasons is like, because it isolates workers, um, right? And so Amazon says, I think this is, well, this is um, Jennifer Bates is, is quoting them, but she says at one such meeting, she remembered a person for the company said employees should feel grateful as rent is only about $400 a month in Bessemer, right? So they're, um, they're locating in Bessemer, which again is 87% black. Uh, it's, it's a very, very African-American area in, in a larger kind of very African-American area, but this is, is much more so. And so there's a lot of reasons why rent, right? Historical, racial racist reasons why rent is $400 in Bessemer. There's also like a lot of, you know, just you can't extract any American economics from race, but a lot of economic reasons it is. There's reasons that Amazon located there and then conveniently use that as reasoning why you should, you should be grateful for the job that you have. Like rent here is only $400 anyway. So why are you worried about having a union, right? You should be grateful to us for providing you with this wage. Um, and, you know, Amazon most kind of, of says the, that directly a lot. Hmm? Most of the concerns I've heard about working at Amazon aren't about wages. They're about working right. conditions. The, right. Uh, and you'll notice that they don't, in all of these that I've read, there's not much comment from Amazon saying that those aren't the working conditions. Uh, right. Those, those aren't. And this is how we fix it. Because I don't think there is a way for them to be Amazon and not have those those working conditions. And it says right here, this is um, quoting Jennifer Bates again, because she's very vocal on this. She says, oh, well, this is from the, the article, uh, the William Thornton article, and she is largely complimentary of her wages and job benefits at Amazon. What's missing, she says, is a sense of commitment from management to employees. She says frequent complaints among workers uh, revolve around issues like the demands of the job, work times, and general lack of communication. So yeah, I mean, the workers are saying, it's not necessarily our wages. Although some workers I've read say, you know, I got the same or a little bit more working at the auto auto parts factory down the road. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah it's, I've kind of, I've, I've seen lots of different, I've seen uh, articles where people say like, well, like I, I used to work three times as hard, but I made $7 and I made like the real minimum. I made like the federal minimum wage. Right. <laughs> but then I've also said like, well, I, and I think this is part of it. Like there's a lot of people working at this factory now that are from the old school, like steel mills and auto plants. Right. And they're like, well, like we used to make like $23 an hour and right. we had really good benefit. Like we had like a union, you know, we had a union, we had union benefits and this is just about, you know, so it's like a mix of, of that. and. Yeah, and they kind of a lot of the workers have explicitly said like I was union at my old workplace, and I would like for the younger people to to experience that. And then apparently there's younger workers here like kind of worried because they're they haven't been in a union, and they're hearing if you join the union, you know, we might lose you might lose your job. The factory will go away, or the yeah, distribution center will go away. It's be we can't do it anymore. And so that's kind of working on people. But there's older people who said like we 
you know, came straight from the being in the uh, auto workers union and straight over, straight over to this. And the, the big mover in this are the, are the poultry workers who are unionized and are coming over and, and do it and working on this. Right. So there's experiences of being unionized. And of course, um, in the larger discussion outside of um, Alabama and outside of uh, this specific example, there's tons of people in the U.S. who think that there should be jobs that people should be punished for having to take, that there yeah, should be jobs I mean, that are so horrible that nobody should want them and everybody should be trying as hard as they can to get out of those jobs and that that's what ambition means. And, you know, this is not only a conservative thing. This is also like a like liberal sickness yeah. that you see, like, uh, you know, um, of saying, well, these people, you know, you should move on from this job or you should. That's yeah, a good people. starter job. It's a good starter. <laughs> right. Right. And, <clears throat> you know, you see this uh, you see this like the, the, the pandemic has just clearly illustrated how this works. We're saying we figured out like all of a sudden the pandemic illustrates what essential jobs are, right? Like what jobs you can't do without, but still people are like, yeah, but people shouldn't get paid living wages for doing those jobs or be able to, you know, live in the area where their job is or have any infrastructure or security around a job or any, you know, nationalized healthcare that backs up being able to, to move, to leave that job. Right. And so many of the ways, and I, I even worry, I find myself like when I'm, uh, te- when I was teaching and even like with my kids, I find myself using that language too. Like, well, you don't want to end up doing, you know, whatever the list of jobs you don't want to yeah. end up doing are. <laughs> and it's like, well, why, I just why had, do you not want to end up doing this? I just things? had an argument with um, somebody the other day about uh, saying, well, if you get $15 an hour for flipping burgers, everybody's just going to quit their job and go flip burgers. And I'm like, because that's such a good job. Why? Because yeah, everybody you wants like to burns? do that because it's so easy. <laughs> yeah. yeah have you uh, yeah. have you ever flipped burgers? Did you want to keep right. doing it? Yeah, it's just so you can um, be on your feet. You can be on your feet for all, all day, day and smell yeah. like grease. You ever like dump out the oil at the end of the yeah. day? You ever do that? You ever do the clean the kitchen at the end of the night? Yeah, having a uh, bit been a food worker and uh lived with a food service worker i mean you that's that's how you smell all the time all the time all the time time. like a hamburger or it depends on where you work like uh when i used to work seafood there's like no way you never you never stop smelling (laughs) seafood and then when i worked when i lived with david and worked at my cafe south i smelled vaguely like hamburgers or french fries i think which was a little better than smelling like the yeah and also like bean sprouts and dishwater yeah, I did smell like that. I did. <laughs> I did. At least it was good food. That was awesome. Food. Yeah, that was awesome. Bean sprouts and dishwater. Um, right. I mean, like you know, that's that's just, that's the arguments that's made too about like learn to code, right? Like, which has become kind of a joke because it ignores how economies work, which are if the more people that learn how to do that, the less people get paid for it. So you want what you want to do is devalue a skill. Like it shows how ridiculous our economy is in the first place, right? Like so, and also, you know, all the numbers show that those things that are starter jobs aren't starter jobs. If you really think they're starter jobs, make a law saying that, uh, you know, you can only get paid this much for six months or a year right. when you're under 18, right? Or like uh, the, the, the myth of unskilled labor. Like, I mean, there's not really, yeah, there's no such um, thing yeah. as unskilled labor. 
I'm guessing you already know this stuff already, but if you follow the United Farm Workers Twitter, do you follow that, Chad? They have they have footage every day of people harvesting, right? It's yeah. like kind of the point is, does this look like unskilled labor to you? And it, um, no, it looks like insanely hard work, um, um, insanely hard work. So, you know, I don't. Well, on the other hand, I also keep saying, seeing these um, uh, uh, posts again on Facebook saying, we need to quit teaching kids, uh, pushing kids to go to college, and we need to push them into the trades because you can make $30 an hour as a plumber. And I'm like, well, but is there, a, or do we have a plumbing shortage? Because we do have uh, apparently a programmer shortage because we're importing workers to do that work. We're not importing nursing plumbers. Shortage. Um, yeah, we a have tons shortage. of college um, jobs. That, um, have, that there are shortages of, and I don't think there's a lot of shortages in the trades. It's really hard to get into the union. It helps to it's know It's hard something. to get into trades, yeah. Uh, well, and all that relies, too, on keeping building and keeping building and keeping building, which is another problem. Because I always tell people, like, hey, if you don't like, you know, HVAC's a good career, but HVAC's a good career as long as we just keep building. Um, so it's a good also, career. Well, yeah. <laughs> For at least uh, I mean, a couple yeah. more dec, a couple more decades. It, this is a different tangent well, than the unionization thing. But one thing that really bothers me about that is it also ignores. I mean, I'm preaching to the choir here, but it ignores what what higher education is for, which is not training for an occupation. Right? It's part of a yeah. learning to be a citizen of a society and learning to better yourself. Right? Which is one thing that makes me nuts because the same people that insist on Western culture you know, quote unquote, Western culture being an important thing also say like, why, why does anyone get a liberal arts education? Well, then what is, what are you talking <laughs> about? Like, what is, what is Western culture? Like if you want to, you know, and there's, I don't believe in this line of thinking, but if you believe that you are America is somehow connected back to Greek democracy in a very important way, then isn't what you admire about Greek democracy, kind of the liberal arts aspect of it, or was it their trades? Are you really into like the, the Greek trades. I think I know what it is. I think the old, <laughs> the old saying is what's good for standard oil is good for Western culture. I think that's uh, what they mean by Western culture. Right. So just to jump back real quick, like it's all this stuff with Amazon too, like can't be disconnected from the pandemic, which makes it really interesting because, um, the profits for Amazon have gone through the roof this year. So apparently their 2020 revenues were up 38%. Uh, so they made Amazon's revenues were $386.1 billion. Uh, yeah. And just between October and December of last year, Amazon recorded total sales of $125.6 billion, a 43% rise over the over the previous year. Um, so, and then the, the Amazon argument about this, this is again quoting uh, Glaber. We opened this site in March, and since that time, have created more than 5,000 full-time jobs in Bessemer. So there's the job creation argument. With starting pay of fifteen thirty per hour, including full health care, vision, and dental insurance, 50% 401k match from the first day on the job, and safe, innovative, inclusive environments. Inclusive, what is that? With training, continuing education, and long-term career growth. We work hard to support our teams, and more than 90% of, of associates at our Bessemer site say they would recommend Amazon as a good place to work to their friends. So, that, yeah, they're using they're using devalued wages in the surrounding area to say, like, look how good you have it. You know, think what would happen if you if you weren't at Amazon. But then I've also seen I've I saw this this is an old statistic. I'm like I mean this is like six months old, but. 
like at the time I was saying that if Jeff Bezos basically gave everybody in the company like a hundred and fifty thousand dollar bonus, yeah. like he would they would still have like Amazon would still have the same amount of money that they had in March right. of like twenty twenty. Right. Like, it's insane. It's insane. Like it's just uh that pile of money sits there and generates a pile of money, right? It's Jeff Bay and he's the richest man in the world because of this. And, and he then, could easily pay all these people. And then also I've seen that Amazon, they have a uh at least one, they probably have more, but they have like an anti union there's an anti union consultant. Like they're like they call it like a union exclude I'm trying to think I think um Thug, a gun thug? There's like a Lisa, the uh, I think her name is Lisa Gurley. She teach she writes for Motherboard on Pi, and but she wrote like they have like a union exclu. It's called like union exclusion executive, whose like job is to like, yeah, basically like yeah, make sure they don't nobody unionizes. Um, right. Well, I mean, yeah, if this happens, it's Amazon. Like this is builds up steam for unionizing everywhere. Right. Uh, so there you go. So um, did anyone else read the Marco Rubio editorial on this? I, I, I'm sorry. I didn't make, I didn't make okay. it, but I, I, kinda, I saw senator. the, I saw the tweets. I saw the, tw- I saw, I kind of, I saw the, uh, the snapshot. I kind of know the, the gist of it, but I didn't read the whole. So let me, uh, let me give you some notes from it real quick. Cause Rubio has come out, um, Red, Red Rubio, Red Rubio has come out for the side of labor. He's uh, got some new shoes. He's out on the picket line. But um, I'm going to read you some some choice quotes. This is in USA Today because that's where all the best <laughs> pro-union editorials show up is in USA Today. So Marco Rubio, um, for decades, companies like Amazon have been allies of the left in the culture war. But when their bottom line is threatened, they turn to conservatives to save them. Republicans have rightly understood the dangers posed by the unchecked influence of labor unions. Adversarial relations between labor and management are wrong. They are wrong for both workers and our nation's economic competitiveness. So there's a lot going on in that first paragraph, but he... (laughs) He's essentially like, I mean, it's kind of weird the amount of things that they'll say out loud, right? But when, uh, so for decades, companies like Amazon, when their bottom line is threatened, they turn to conservatives to say them. Yes, that's true. Uh, checks out. Um, but this whole, like he's doing this, this, this thing that we've seen a lot lately, which is Republicans relying on the culture war and defining everything outside of current movement conservative as being on the left. So companies like Amazon have been allies of the left. Like, is there any, the only way to understand that is say like, maybe they have like a workplace that doesn't discriminate against gay people or something like that's, that's about, or like they don't sell like that's exactly what he front page. Yeah. You can't right. you can't stream Pepe Le Pew on Amazon Prime right, anymore. Right, right, right. Or they put a warning on the Muppets, so they are allies of the left. Like, and it's interesting too because, and you were mentioning Facebook earlier, which I try to not even bother with anymore. But you see that like the most common kind of analysis of how these things break down, even among people who are supposedly you know centrist or whatever, their understanding of things is well, that's what on the left is. So like, there's no, it's not being allied with labor at Amazon. Amazon's an ally of the left because yeah, they said uh, Fred Flintstone shouldn't have said those slurs about, about Ukrainians. <laughs> right. Um, so, but he has this quote in here. This is the next quote, but the days of conservatives being taken for granted by the business community are over. 
Finally. Uh, finally. Finally. So, but he said in the paragraph above that Republicans, uh, the bottom line is threatened. They turned to conservatives to save them. I would like to just, if you, you know, he's a senator, so he won't respond to it. But it would be great to have like 30 minutes of Marco Rubio unpacking exactly how how that works, right? Like, what do you mean? Um, so he, it's kind of a long paragraph. I want to read this and go into it. He says, adversarial labor relations are generally harmful. When it is a good American company, for example, certain American automakers, adversarial relations risk hurting labor and management alike by causing American industry to lose ground to foreign competition. And too often, the right to form a union has been, in practice, a requirement that business owners allow left-wing social organizers to take over their workplaces. All right. So there's a lot happening here, but he keeps coming back to this thing saying that adversarial relationships are bad. And I think this is a really important point to understand like what a, uh, well, you don't have to be a Marxist. You just, well, it helps, but you don't have to be to, uh, to see like, this is a kind of a, a rude way to understand the world. Like it is an adversarial relationship. Like in what, how are boss and worker relationships not adversarial? I mean, they by their nature are like, you can have a good working relationship at times and things can go smoothly, but it's an adversarial relationship. Am I, am I wrong about this? Like I fundamentally, mean, uh, if you have a capitalist system where the uh, labor is uh, disassociated from profit, absolutely. It has to be adversarial. Right. It has to be. I mean, and that would be, I think any basic understanding of how capitalism works, you would have to say it's biased nature and adversarial relationship because the way that you make a profit is from exploiting labor. And as the Amazon story shows us, like they're saying, right. If you don't, if you if you were confrontational with us, you might lose your wages, you might lose your job, you might lose this whole facility. Like you need to be quiet about it. Um, we're willing to work with you on a personal basis, and maybe you have complaints about like uh, the decorations on the staircase, right? But they they they're in a, they're in a position of power where they can choose what to respond to and what not to respond to, and workers are in a position of selling their time, you know, their labor. So, like, in what way is that not a adversarial relationship? It is. So, I think that, like, <clears throat> I, you know, I, I don't know what Marco Rubio actually thinks and doesn't think. I don't think he's that bright a guy. But, like, I don't. How how does one understand labor relations in this way is amazing to me. Yeah. Well, I, I wonder go even if further and say that the this whole idea of the adversarial relationship and the and that it's sort of the job of management to exploit has infected places where it shouldn't be like the university, for example, um, senior faculty exploit junior faculty. Um, no kidding. and they do it, I think in part because this whole idea of the zero sum game and all of the paradigms of, um, of capitalist management have been translated into the academy. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, the university has taken over that. That's the way they they operate now is management and labor. And it's you know I've said a million times, but it's so funny like to watch the the professor with a well stocked Marxist bookshelf like um, like tell you all the ways they're going to exploit your your work, right? And it happens over and over and over again. And that's how universities run now. That's how they run. That's how they make money is by having a lot of people that they don't have to pay. Um, 
who was it this week? Was it was Columbia, like in a, a Columbia where there's ongoing like labor struggles with their grad students, like uh, now like kind of admitted that they're student workers, referred to them as student workers, whereas sometimes they're referred to as like, uh, as you know, like as if you're some kind of uh, apprentice Associates. kind of level thing or something else. Friends of the university. Yeah. Acquaintances of the university, right? <laughs> buddies. Buddies of the university. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah, it's per, it pervades. Well, I'm going to do one of the one of the things that I found most pervade, per, persuasive when I first started reading Marx stuff was saying that economic relations become social relations, and I think it's true. I think we so much of our society has like boss worker relations, and then the it imports the ideology of that. Where oh no, this is how it's supposed to work. This is how you're doing something well. You are, and so, this is not a board meeting. Uh, you are you are doing something. <laughs> you're doing something well if it is legible in this kind of capitalist system of exploitation, right? You are, if you're having boss worker relationships, that means you are being official in your relationships. Whereas anything outside that you're being casual in your relationships. And even in, even in households, it's uh, kind of frustrating. Uh, so who's Rubio finishes up, who is he gets the, to his real, his real, uh, who owns the house here. legislation like the Democrats, Protecting the right to organize, the PRO Act, would essentially mandate adversarial relations between labor and management. So, again, it it wouldn't mandate them. It is mandated by the relationship. Right? <laughs> the relationship itself mandates that. Uh, so that's Marco Rubio. But the scary thing about this to me is we talked about it last week, is you see all of these conservatives, apparently this is their messaging now, which is... We are, we represent the working class and they're using, I hate the, 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 using the term, the woke terminology for Amazon, right? And saying, well, look at this. And they're tying in the culture war stuff to now working class stuff. And I think they're very cleverly trying to head off uh, working class movements, which have seemed ascendant over the last few years. And they're very good at doing this. So I think they can be very effective at it, which worries me. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was Ken. just going to say. No, I was just going to say. I wonder, like, if uh, Marco Rubio and a lot of uh, the Republicans realize that 85 percent of the people that are that work for this that work for the Bessemer factory are African American, and I think like two thirds are women. I think two. I wonder if they realize that, but that's all. <laughs> Yeah, well, it might drive them away. And that's one thing I want to like make clear, too, is like there's a clear like civil rights um, legacy and aspect of this whole thing. It is not separate at all from, from any of that. And also uh, a feminist aspect, too. Because Yeah, these workers are largely lo- overwhelmingly black and largely women. Right? So, and, and the union that's trying to organize them uh, has a long, long history being involved in civil rights, too. So this is all tied up in there. Not that it's not tied up in labor struggle in general, but in a really interesting way here. <clears throat> Sorry, David. I was going to, that's all right. I was going to say something I wanted to touch on that isn't strictly Southern, but it's certainly about uh, uh, power struggles and about conservatives wanting to identify with uh, working class people and all that is uh, what's going on in Nevada where democratic socialists, uh, DSA um, candidates, were so popular in the last election that they've basically taken over the Democratic Party of the state. And the old school Harry Reid Democrats there 
have had a mass exodus from the party having a tantrum because democracy is working. And so it's not just conservatives who are trying to hold back um, um, lefty ideas uh, <laughs> by any means. Well, definitely not. I, you know, I, I wanted to sit down and read more into the story, but I've been really busy this week. But I have read John Ralston's, uh, the, the dean of Nevada politics, John Ralston's very public temper tantrum over this, where he has, he's used the word communist. Like he's used, he's been red baiting this whole thing, saying they have to drive the communist out of the party. And if you remember, John Ralston is the guy who started all the crazy Bernie Sanders rumors during 2016 about the chair throw was it chair throwing and all of that stuff at the he's the one who started that and then when the videotape came out showing none of it happened still insisted that it did and you know he's a guy i follow him i read him because he does know a lot about nevada politics but it is this those people are not letting go uh, of of the parties and would rather i think in so many cases so would rather keep what they have and lose than go a different direction and win um but the good thing, you know, even before I was involved with DSA, I always recommended to people like take over your local Democratic Party because in with with a few very large exceptions, it's not that hard to do. So it's interesting to see it happening for real out there. Well, from what I've read about the Nevada, like, I mean, it's been a long term project, like the Nevada DSA people were like, well, we need to like run on these local, we need to get these local people, we need to do, like, we need to kind of, you know, they've been showing up for a long time. And it's, you know, they've kind of ray they've kind of worked their way up the ladder. I mean, it's been kind of a long term strategy. It wasn't just something that just didn't just magically happen overnight. It's I do a lot of organizing and a lot of communicating and a lot of yeah, like that taking over the party stuff for a long time. I was going to say Before that you- um, um, for me, uh, most of the coverage that I've been reading of it. Um, keeps doing this thing that that Democrats, mainstream Democrats really want to do, which it ties into what you were saying. They want to put it at Bernie Sanders' door and the right. semi-fictional Bernie bro and uh, this sort of supposed horrible resentment about how Bernie Sanders has been treated and stuff. And the idea that there's nothing legitimate about the movement, that it's not about politics, that it's not about policy, that it's not about uh, what people want, that it's all some sort of festering resentment over some political maneuvering uh, right. uh, some years ago. And it's like, well, you know, people can, I think some people were motivated and saw through some some of the unpleasant things about the Democratic Party when they watched how things played out. But that doesn't delegitimize uh, all the stuff. And it's, there are people who are Bernie Sanders supporters who are neophytes or uh, unpleasant people or cranks. But that's true of any political um, person, you know? Certainly, any, nobody on the right has any right to start throwing stones at um, cranks who are your followers. As a matter of fact, they're constantly running away from uh, church shooters and uh, whatever else. Um, but yeah, this whole idea that it's all tied back to resentment about Bernie Sanders is just a slander. Yeah, it's kind of silly. And I think, too, <clears throat> is, um, you know, I think because, uh, and I say this as someone um, 
who is really involved in DSA, like DSA can be, can look from the outside very silly and be funny and be caught up on these kind of internal arguments that seem ridiculous. But I think what a lot of mainstream Democrats don't realize is how like, uh, actually serious people are about like working on stuff and about how like i mean if there's one if you're inside of dsa kind of the funny jokes are about like <clears throat> how much how much is involved in it right like how much uh commitment and work and like the actual like kind of uh brick and mortar stuff of politics like the knocking on door stuff of politics the <clears throat> I, I think maybe organizers is a is a is a maybe overused sometimes, but about how much of that stuff just goes into it. Uh, Chad has something to say. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so I kind of guess is that, like, I've become more involved in DSA over the past little while. And I'm kind of involved on the, I think the, the Houston DSA is involved. Like we're kind of on more on the, uh, on the, uh, the beginning of what Nevada was trying to do is like looking at these. I mean, and it's just like, it's a whole struggle about like, is electoralism like the mm-hmm. thing, but that's a whole nother thing. But there is like, looking at where are these small rate, you know, like where are these small races that, you know, you can get, you know, progressive candidates, like where can you get them in? And that's how they built it up. And that's kind of like how Nevada did, you know, they started running like school board members and then they would run like a, you know, a a house representative here and a house representative there. And, you know, then whenever there was, you know, whenever like a chairman of the local democratic committee, I think it was like cook, you know, like whenever the Cook County chairmanship was up, you know, like they would run, you know, and kind of which like it's what, all. Yeah, which is what you should be doing and what the Democratic Party should have been doing in all of these states. I know in Florida, that was always my complaint was like, we should have people running for everything. And then the Democratic Party's uh, thing was to say, well, we can't really win that. No one can do that. No one can. Uh, who wants to? Uh, but um, I mean. Yeah, there's a larger argument about electoralism that I think I'm probably on the on the other other side of from a lot of people. Like, I think you should run for everything, but like that's a different issue. But the that there, I think a lot of people like John Ralston and, and people like that who are very wedded to the old school Democratic Party don't understand like how much work goes into DSA stuff and see it as silly. Like, oh, people are being weird. People are being silly. Um, as opposed to people are like actually trying to, to change something that's very frustrating. All right. And I think that is a good spot for us to finish today. See you next week. See you, next See you week. guys.